You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network. Hosted by Blake Murphy 7, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello, one and all. Welcome to the ROTB pod. This is Blake Murphy on Twitter, at Blake Murphy 7 And I'm your host for the ROTB pod. Today, we are going to be uh, on the other side of the time that you're listening to this of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys kicking off the 2021 NFL season. Uh, we'll be going over about three topics today. Pretty easy to understand as far as where they'll be going. That's going to be previewing the Arizona versus Tennessee Titans football game this upcoming Sunday at 10 a.m. Arizona time. I'll also be taking a quick look before getting into the specifics of the game. Uh, just going to be talking a little bit about going around some of the NFL, taking a look at some predictions, as well as looking at some of the predictions for the Arizona Cardinals themselves. Going over Mike Clay, going some over-under as far as agreeing or disagreeing with some of those projections. Uh, let's go ahead and be able to kick it off. Uh, talking at least a little bit about, uh, just a little bit about this game from last night. Uh, for those who at least are just coming on the other side, I do have the... New England Patriots winning the game, or excuse me, I should say the uh, Tampa Bay Patriots, there we go, winning the game. That was intentional, by the way, Tampa Bay Patriots, Tom Brady. In any case, uh, I have them also covering the spread. I do think it's going to be a bit of a higher scoring game, but I do think that's only going to be due to some garbage time points for the Cowboys. If I'm wrong, hey, then I'm wrong. That's just being able to set us up this year. I'll be tracking all of the games with predictions, checking out the over-under, whether teams are going to cover the spread. All that will be done at Tally Site as part of the SB Nation network. I'm happy to be able to kind of go as far as for where it went last year, did a pretty good job of being able to nail over-unders as far as for point total. Uh, some games went as expected. Some obviously did not. I think betting on the Cardinals early in the season and then betting on them likewise late turned out to have an effect that was positive for some and uh, others it wasn't quite the same. So uh, let's go ahead and take a look at least starting and going around the NFL with some of the biggest moves of the offseason, how they affect teams like the Cardinals. And I think the biggest impacts, at least to be watching for, we'll start with the NFC West. The NFC West, the teams in the division had multiple, and I should say multiple, changes that they made specifically with the quarterback position for two of their teams, the LA Rams and the San Francisco 49ers. Now, Jimmy Garoppolo is supposed to be the starter in San Francisco, and the LA Rams, of course, made the trade for Matthew Stafford. A lot of first-round picks were given up for Matthew Stafford and a lot for Trey Lance, the quarterback who is still seeming to recover from what seems like a thumb injury. Um, but it should be at least noted from his preseason time, made an excellent throw to Trent Sherfield, a guy who the Cardinals decided not to retain this year. He goes to be the number three in San Francisco instead of the number five receiver in Arizona. At some point, I do think he will take over, but there is at least some good room to be skeptical about them and the Seattle Seahawks as we get into. So looking at how most people have been able to predict or looking at the win-loss, how it works out, a lot of people have the Rams, Seahawks, Cardinals, and Niners all in a very similar ranges, some betting more on some than others. A good example of that being uh, there are teams that are predicting the Los Angeles Rams or, in some cases, San Francisco 49ers to have 11 and 12 win seasons. The Seahawks to have a 10-win season, continuing the pattern with Russell Wilson, despite their defense taking a couple of blows at least over the years as we saw. 
and the Arizona Cardinals finishing for anywhere between about seven or nine wins on most national standards. Again, the Cardinals are most likely pictured to be the fourth rated team out of the NFC West. And who can blame them? When we've seen the healthy San Francisco 49ers, we've seen a team that went to the Super Bowl and was 10 points up on the Kansas City Chiefs before a complete collapse. Grabbing a nice cold drink of water here, sorry. The Niners last year were riddled with health issues, fell down to their third-string quarterback. A lot of people have confidence in Kyle Shanahan, his ability to call plays and run the football, be able to get guys open. And they have two guys who are able to rack up yards after the catch in Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk. But I think the Niners are a bit weaker than teams realize. They're essentially departed. Um, they're, they're essentially departed their defensive coordinator, I should say. That would be Robert Sala, the new head coach of the New York Jets. And Sala is taking over a team that's not projected to go outside of the top three in the draft order by many. But he takes with him a lot of understanding character and even being able to execute and get the most out of his players. Uh, most people looked at his scheme of being able to run a uh, rushing four, dropping seven in coverage, very similar to those Seattle cover three, uh, three deep safeties, or at least when you're talking about that, not necessarily even three deep safeties, but kind of having three deep zones, being able to allow the defense to roam in the middle of the field. Corners, for the most part, have an island, and then having a center fielder like Earl Thomas allowed that Legion of Boom, to be able to thrive. They had the same type of scheme that was run when you look at uh, Robert Sala, and now that he's gone, a lot of people, I think D'Amico Ryans can step up, do a solid job in replacing him, but usually whenever there is a solid coordinator who leaves, it's very rare that we see a first-year guy step up and completely bring out a whole brand-new avenue of defense. There are times when we've seen good defensive coordinators leave and get replaced with young defensive coordinators, but many of those times, those guys were kind of on the downslope of the career. I like to think of Wade Phillips being replaced by Brandon Staley, who Staley, of course, went on to have the Rams at the number one defense in the NFL. Uh, granted, having Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald helps, but being able to see how he moved that into a one-year head coaching position, we've seen a lot of changes in the NFC West. We've seen overall, not just new quarterbacks, We've also seen new offensive or defensive coordinators. We're seeing a new offensive coordinator in Shane Waldron coming over from Houston with that passing attack that Deshaun Watson had, perhaps MVP-type numbers on a terrible 4-12 team. We're also seeing at least new defensive coordinators in both the Rams and for the 49ers due to the NFC West seeming to hire everyone. And the only team that does not have a huge schematic change but really has talent added to their team is the Arizona Cardinals. And this is where I think the Cardinals, and this is where I'll talk about some, um, there's an article writing on revengeofthebirds.com, but this is perhaps the area where I do think, if you want to talk about are the Cardinals being slapped on, this would be the spot that you could look at. There is continuity that Arizona is bringing back. They're letting go of guys who weren't as good last year in Patrick Peterson. They're adding back a guy in Robert Offer, who well, a lot of people have questions about, did show himself to be more of a scrappy able to be an outside number two corner, can play at least the run. Whether his body can hold up is a large question. And as we've seen Marco Wilson on the other side, but there's still the consistency of being able to bring back the Chandler Jones, of being able to have players like Isaiah Simmons in the same defense, having all of those guys up front, having Marcus Golden back for a year. And then on the offensive side, it's year three of the Kyler Cliff experiment. You've got DeAndre Hopkins with a non-COVID offseason 
alongside with AJ Green on the other side, who apparently uh, like someone had made the joke, I believe, and uh, it talked about with uh, there's a spoiler alert for those who have not seen <laughs> the end of The Usual Suspects. Uh, but when Kaiser Soze walks out of the building, you realize at least, okay, let's, uh, oh, oh, and then all of a sudden you see this foot that's kind of all bent up and injured for Kevin Spacey's character, suddenly straightens out and turns out that that Kaiser Soze was actually concealing the injury all along. Some have wondered if this is the case for A.J. Green from his time in Cincinnati. Did he pull a Carson Palmer, just kind of tune out, spend enough time to play to get signed to a contract, but not enough time to be able to excel because he was done with you know, their struggles in the medical situation, their up and down issues that they've had, and being able to field a competent team the past few years. I don't fully subscribe to that. I fully believe that athletes try their best at all times, and he was one of the most loyal guys you could be to Cincinnati over that stretch. But if he's healthy, when you add that into a Christian Kirk in the slot and a Rondale Moore, the Cardinals' offense, at least, has the potential to be very exciting. And in that regard, the biggest thing that was far as why teams are holding the back is Cliff Kingsbury. That's why most people are basically counting Cliff out. They're saying he doesn't have what it takes. Very different from the aspect of when the Cardinals are running a victory lap at the 6-3 and three schedule following the Hale Murray. As we know, things fell apart. The Cardinals had saw an injury in the Seattle game to Kyler Murray to his shoulder. He had rushed around for quite a few yards in that game and then against the Dolphins. Seemed to take a hit for the most part, uh, either in both, I believe, the Dolphins game and in the Seattle game. And it seemed like that was it for their season. Cliff similarly turtled. The passing attack didn't really seem to take up again until the end of the season against the Philadelphia Eagles. It still seemed off against the Niners. And perhaps you get to say that was Sayla's last hurrah as a Niner. But looking at how the Cardinals work, if you wanted to pick a team that would be a surprise or maybe a sleeper to win the division, I think the Cardinals would be one of those teams because on paper, they're a 10-win team just from their talent alone. Now, whether coaching is able to back that up, whether the rookies such as Zayvon Collins and Marco Wilson are able to play, whether Rondale Moore, their essential lone speed threat besides Andy Isabella, can make plays in Cliff's horizontal passing game that will open up rushing lanes. That's one of the things that I think may be as a trendy sleeper pick for uh, being able to be this surprise division winner. Now, many are picking instead of that. Some are picking the Washington football team as their surprise division winner. And there's a few that I've seen, at least, that are talking about uh, a team such as the Miami Dolphins. If Josh Allen falls off quite a bit, if the Patriots, with a young rookie quarterback and needing to retool massively, end up coming up, and the New York Jets are able to make a bit more of a surprise push with Zach Wilson in that division, that may be one of the sleeper teams that people could see walking away. After that, it would have to be the Cardinals. Because the Cardinals are the only team that, when you look at the other three teams, there's something that you can be impressed with about those teams. Say, yeah, they definitely belong in the toughest division in sports. Seahawks, they have Russell Wilson, a 10-win team. They seem to always figure it out at some point on defense. You're talking about adding a new weapon in Gerald Everett, boosting the offensive line a bit with Gabe Jackson. You can talk about the Rams adding a better quarterback, potentially, than Jared Goff, at least one who may handle pressure better. And the Niners adding a new shiny quarterback who has both rushing ability and a deeper ball than Jimmy Garoppolo. But there's questions about each of those teams, too. And I think there are less questions about the Arizona Cardinals. The Cardinals' questions are all about health. Now, health is a thing that can be a question for every NFL team. You look at across the board. Niners went from being a Super Bowl team to being the worst team in their division a year later because of health. 
The Cardinals questions people have are about with Cliff and with Vance Joseph. Well, we've seen it. We've gotten out of Cliff and Vance Joseph. There are issues that pop up, but ultimately they still are able to produce offense on the field. They're able to also be able to produce defense, get stops, get some turnovers. It's not like you're talking about what we were looking at, which was the tw- the 32nd ranked defense in 2019. And you're not talking about one of the worst offenses in the league. It's not that one side is carrying the other. It's that both of them have not quite met the expectations that Cardinals fans have wanted. And that makes sense. Every time you go 8-8 eight and eight or have one of these 8-9, and 9-8 and eight seasons, you're always going to be not a bad team, but you're not a good team. You're not even a playoff team at that rate. Cardinals could have been a playoff team had the Chicago Bears lost one more single game and snuck in at 8-8. Eight and eight. So the Cardinals but are one of these teams that when you talk about adding people like a Rodney Hudson, Watt, other people are talent, you should be able to look at that and say, all right, they're an 8-8 eight and eight team. The schedule gets tougher, but their team should have gotten better. If they can stay healthy, be able to find an effective passing game to go with what was a strong running game last season, and their defense is able to take some of their issues that they had as far as getting off the field a bit more on third down before getting to the red zone and being able to keep that same level, even having perhaps a high-level pass rush, then you can start to project to them being one of the more stable teams. Getting anything less than 10 wins should be a disappointment for this Cardinals organization. And Steve Kahn and Michael Bidwell have said as much. They both have talked about how they believe solidly that this should be a playoff team this year. So then the question is, what's stopping them? And the answer is, it may be the Cardinals themselves. Arizona has labored under this Cliff Kingsbury scheme that really has kind of in some cases been impressive to watch, and in other cases it seemed to hold them back. But I think that with the Cardinals, when it comes to the division, you can talk about some of the win-losses, how things would work out, what could be some of the averages. This is a division that usually beats up on itself, And I think it's all going to come down to, and this is where I've said repeatedly, the first four games of the season. It's particularly week four. Even if the Cardinals are one and two in the division, if you take a look and say, all right, they're one and two in the division, let's say that they beat the Jaguars and then they lose to the Vikings and other potential playoff team and the Titans. How they lose will be super important because if they can then lose to those teams close, but then go out and beat the Rams essentially put a beat down on a Rams offensive line that has desires of being able to get to the Super Bowl, but in actuality probably does not have a Super Bowl-worthy offensive line, then they could make a big statement as far as, hey, this is an avenue where we don't have to be the best team in the NFC. We just have to be the best team in our division. And I think if the Arizona Cardinals can do that this year, they have the talent to do so. I think they have the stability to do so. It just really depends on their coaching staff has to be able to deliver. Their defense has to be able to be a team that can cover for what looks to be a very weak cornerback room with a strong upfront pass rush and uniqueness of scheme to fool and quarterbacks, whether it's Isaiah Simmons being able to blitz off the edge or drop back, being able to utilize Buda Baker and having a lot of these different type of hybrid pieces. If they can do that, I think they have a good chance to be able to win their division if they cannot, and they end up under 10 wins, I think the, the thing that I think for the Cardinals, and I'll give this prediction when I come back to the end of the NFL, if they're able to get to this 10-win season but not get to the playoffs, that's going to be one of those areas that I think they should be commended, should be praised. Now, I think it's going to be tough to argue keeping people past 2022 unless they can repeat that. 
And that's going to be hard given their current roster construction is going almost all in for this year. But that is how we should view this team as it's a 10-win team. Do they meet expectations? If they do anything more to surpass that, I think that would be what you could call a special season for the Arizona Cardinals in a season in which there aren't many. All right, let's go ahead, and I'm going to go and take a quick break here, and we're going to shift out to talking about the rest of the NFL. A quick kind of re off-season recap. I'll be right back here to talk about some of those over-under lines with the cards as well. Stick around. And welcome back to the ROTB pod. Uh, we're going to go ahead, and this is going to be a lot of time spent utilizing Mike Clay, Mike Clay NFL. He has predictions he does as an ESPN NFL projecticator using the projections. They have win total scoring, looking at playoff teams, and then he even looks at 2022 draft projections. I don't go so far as draft projections because so much can change for each of those things. It's hard to be able to project where the Rams will finish in draft projections. And then realize they don't have picks for the next two years. It doesn't matter. Teams may move up, move down. Talent even from where you project. Unless you have a surefire number one quarterback like Trevor Lawrence going at one, it really doesn't matter. And even as we saw this last year, the issue was not necessarily what happened with quarterback two or quarterback three. The question came up of who's going to get the quarterback who falls. And as we saw, there was a team that traded up that needed to in the Bears and a team that did not need to. And the Patriots in selecting Mac Jones, of course, being one pick ahead of the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, speaking of Mac Jones, let's start with the AFC East. Uh, looking at some of the win-loss total, this comes from Mike Clay's projections. Make sure you can give him a follow. I prefer, rather than go through every single NFL game, I feel like I could predict each of those. But rather being able to look at the projections of what would be the range is one of my favorite things to do. It really gives you a good sense of the high-end range as well as the low-end range for a team. So that way, you talk about the Arizona Cardinals in 2018. That was a team that had a 6-10 and kind of win-loss ceiling. And they went 3-13. and 13. When you underperform like that, that's when you know it's time to make a change. And the first team that pops up in the division is the Buffalo Bills at 10-6, and 6, followed by an 8-8 eight and eight Patriots team, followed by an 8-8 eight and eight Dolphins team, and then a 5-11 and 11 Jets team. The Jets being close to six wins. And I think this is one of the avenues that I would say I would agree that hit you hit the over on the Jets from five wins. People say they've got a weak roster, but I think that they're going to have an infusion of coaching talent and an infusion of offensive talent that they haven't had in a while. Zach Wilson may be a rookie, but I think that he's shown two areas that I think you need to have to succeed and be a similar quarterback to, in my comparison, I think, the closest avenue that he could be at the low end is a Jimmy Garoppolo. You're talking about like your game manager can move around a bit, but gets the ball out quick. He's a quarterback who won't lose the game for you. He may not go out and win a game for you, but he won't lose it for you. The high end would be a Tony Romo. You're talking about a guy who doesn't have the strongest arm in the world, but he can make all the NFL throws. He could throw a 50-yard bomb if need be. He isn't going to be a guy who can throw it on a dime like Cam Newton of old, Kyler Murray. He's obviously not a Mahomes type. He might not even be a Trevor Lawrence type, but to be able to make all the throws, as they say, and it's especially his poise and off-script ability. He can even pull the trigger and throw the ball on a quick amount, and that's going to play very well, I think, with the Jets being able to hire, uh, I believe it's the... If I remember correctly, I believe it's either the brother of Mike McDaniel. Um, I have to double-check at least for their offensive coordinator. But they're going to run a very similar Niners scheme. They have already a veteran in Jamison Crowder in the slot. You had Corey Davis outside. And I think that they're going to be a team that ends up being able to put together a few more wins due to, if nothing else, just the sheer will of Robert Sala pushing what should be a bad defense with bad corners 
to be able to contend. And I think that will pull down some of these other teams. I am an avenue where I think that you could look at the New England Patriots and say either Mac Jones ends up being the second coming, or we end up seeing at least that he's a guy who ends up being probably about a Kirk Cousins type in the NFL, a guy who is not a rushing quarterback, but is at the high end mentally outside of maybe one or two errors and is able to help the Patriots. But they just seem like they've had so much talent that's been depleted for the last few years. They not only lost Tom Brady, but have lost enough where I've got questions about not just their weapons, but questions on the line, questions on their defense. Uh, even though they're getting high tower back, Stephon Gilmore is out for, I believe, the first six games of the season on the PUP. There is just enough concerns about the Patriots that I think that Bill Belichick will be able to get them to a winning season, but I don't know if they're going to be able to get to one of those seasons that is able to get into the playoffs. I've got them and the Dolphins both hitting the over at nine wins, and I could see a 10 wins Dolphin season, but it would really depend on Tua Tagovailoa being able to recover from his injury, step up, and be able to kind of be that guy. And I just have a lot of doubts about that. Uh, some Dolphins fans, at least, have argued that Tua needs to be a guy you stand by and support, but I don't think the Dolphins would be as heavily connected to Deshaun Watson if they were completely sold on Tua. The good example is, hey, Cardinals fans, would you trade three first-round picks for a pre-allegation to Sean Watson? A lot of people went, sure, but I'd have to think about it. When it comes to Tua, most people would say, we got the picks. We've got everything set up. We just need the quarterback. Heck yeah. Don't need to worry about Tua anymore. He'd obviously be part of the trade. And that's one of the avenues that I think at least is why, even though I like where the Dolphins are, I still think that having a defensive coach in Brian Flores still being able to have some additions, I've got a lot of questions about their offensive line. I don't think that they truly have a alpha number one receiver. Now, you could argue Jalen Waddle's an alpha number one receiver. I think he's much more of your hopefully healthy Will Fuller, a guy who could be a high-end level one, but you love him as a number two that will just feast, similar to how we've seen where not just Will Fuller go across from DeAndre Hopkins in Houston in years past, but uh, Marcus Valdez-Scantling in Green Bay, being able to be that long touchdown guy. I think that's what you love to see in Jalen Waddle. I think there's times where you can involve him, maybe a little bit more of one of those Percy Harvin types, but really that's one of the cases where I think that Miami is just one of those teams that unless they're able to upgrade in a major way or Tua takes a big step forward, I think that they're kind of locked into about the eight or nine wins a year. It's hard to see, especially considering the contentious AFC. Moving on to the AFC North, you're talking about, and this is a take I agree with, the Cleveland Browns leading the division going about 11-5, and 11-6. and six. The Baltimore Ravens at 10 or 11-6, and six, just behind the Browns. The Steelers at 8 wins and the Bengals at 6-10. and 10. Now, I, I'm going to say this. I think the Bengals, with some of their offensive issues, some of their defense, I think they're a less developed version following the Arizona Cardinals model. In 2019, we saw the Cardinals with Kyler Murray now they didn't really do a good job of addressing the offensive line like Arizona had in being able to help protect Joe Burrow. They furthermore went out and got a number one wide receiver who has been struggling to catch the ball. He seemed to even struggle in some adjustment to the NFL, took a year off of football in Jamar Chase. And I think that the Bengals are a tick below the Cardinals, but it would not shock me one bit if the Bengals end up being this team that passes the ball a bunch comes out without abandon and in what probably could be a must-win year, is able to put together a somewhat respectable 7-10 and 10 season considering they play in a division with the Steelers, Ravens, and Browns. Now, I think you buy all of the Cleveland Browns here. I think that could be a 12-win team unless Baker Mayfield just falls off a cliff and they've got the offensive and defensive lines 
They're getting back Odell Beckham Jr. And they have a coaching staff that seems to be utilizing the talents of their team to their best ability. I think that you hit the ad all day for the Browns. I could see them winning 12 games. The Ravens are a team that while they've boosted some avenues of their team, you have to be selling on them due to the fact that it feels very much like this is a Ravens team that is just repeating the 2020 San Francisco 49ers. Or even if I compared them to the 2018 Cardinals by having so many injuries at one position. And right now their offense is wrecked. They drafted Rashad Bateman to try to be able to boost their offense. He's got an injury. Marquise Hollywood Brown has been injured galore. They're struggling to be able to put receivers onto the field. Sammy Watkins might be their wide receiver one and two by the time it's all said and done. Uh, with Mark Andrews giving a, a nod to him, although he's uh, had some nick-ups over, I should say, nicks over the last couple of years. Still has been able to play the majority of their games, but they have lost at least their top three starting running backs for the year. J.K. Dobbins, out, ACL. Having Gus Edwards, the number two, out, ACL. That updated as of today, just before the NFL starts and after most people's fantasy drafts have finished. And seeing Justice Hill, done, out. They're going to be relying on... Uh, a Tyrell Williams, I believe, at least. Uh, I have to see. It's not that Tyrell Williams, but uh, they're going to be relying on a small school, not played it as much before, like kind of floated around. People want to raid and land uh, player in the basically shells of Le'Veon Bell and Devonta Freeman. Now, it wouldn't shock me if Bell ends up getting that role and has somewhat of an Adrian Peterson type resurgence, where Peterson stayed the same player, same bruising, but took some time off and essentially ended up being able to recover from it. I don't think that Bell is quite there yet, but I do think that we end up seeing at least a potential resurgence, especially given the fact that unlike the Steelers he was with or the New York Jets he was with, Lamar Jackson is a rushing threat. I could see that being a sleeper for maybe it's a stable of backs, but whoever goes should succeed. The issue is if the Ravens end up having the struggles, and they've got Ronnie Staley, their left tackle, coming off injury as well. They dealt Orlando Brown to the Chiefs, uh, to be able to protect Patrick Mahomes' blindside. If Lamar Jackson ends up getting hurt and misses time or has a concussion is out for a few games, uh, we already know at least, too, that he's basically not vaccinated. And as a result, if he ends up having COVID for, you know, say, a third time at some point or ends up with exposure issues, that's going to be rough. I, I don't think that will happen with Lamar. I think this is already dead and gone. But if there is any type of t position where he misses time, Tyler Huntley comes in and is able to run some of that offense, not obviously as well as the MVP, but is able to run it well enough to get by. I still am selling on the Baltimore Ravens. I'm also selling on the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're all in with one last year of Big Ben. I think this is your typical team that looks just like how the, maybe not even the Saints, but it would remind me of maybe the 2017 Cardinals, where you're bringing back an aging quarterback. You don't have much behind them. They spent some time getting hurt last year, and there were issues and I think that's going to be another case for a team like the Steelers. Been through five picks in the playoff game last year. And I, it's really hard for me to be able to see the Steelers, even with a decent amount of weapons, being able to be the same team. They're going to rely on running the ball with Najee Harris. Despite, I believe, the retirement of David DeCastro. And I just think that they're a team that, with the defense that they have, and some of the talent, obviously, they have a uh, top-played player in the NFL in TJ Watt. They also have a solid secondary, if not elite, and of course some decent defensive line, but they don't seem to strike anyone as far as putting fear into them, and a lot of that is just due to Big Ben's arm looking like it's just it's ready to be done. And in that regard, I could see the Steelers being very like the 2017 Cardinals, 
getting off to a slow start, catching a big up. Maybe you have a, their backup spend a bit of time and kind of crawling their way due to their coaching staff to an 8-8 eight and eight season. And uh, that's really where I think at least that's how you take a look at it. I think that I would sell on the Ravens 10 wins. I think that they may go less. And I would sell on the Steelers in that regard as well. Uh, the AFC South, this is pretty straightforward to me. I think the Texans are projected at 4-12. and 12. I would be shocked at that. Sell on that. I think they'll go under. I think this is a one-win team that gets one win late in the season and still ends up potentially being the number one pick outside of an unexpected collapse. Jaguars, I think, will put up a respectable 6-10, and 10, maybe even a 7-9 and nine opening season. I think that you buy that. The Colts, I think, at least, when you talk about Carson Wentz, he also is another player who has kind of chosen to be able to, you know, was, I suppose this is right technically to be able to, you know, go without the vaccine. If he misses time, the Colts may end up having issues where he's coming back from surgery. I could see this being a case where the Colts end up being the super talented team that once again goes out and isn't able to put it together. That's why I am buying the Titans. I don't think the Titans will be a 12 or 13. I don't think they're a Super Bowl threat, but a 10 and 6 team with the rest of the division pretty comfortably behind its seven wins. Yeah, you can buy that. The biggest question for me is how bad are the Texans going to be? Are they a team that really is going to be this atrocious team that looks worse than the Jacksonville Jaguars did a year ago, trotting out Gardner Minshew? Or is this going to be a team that is going to try to rally behind their coach despite questionable decisions from their GM and others that seems to be ready to tank and is able to kind of come together and perform? After all, this is a professional league. It wouldn't shock me if the Texans go out there and end up being a one-win team. I still have enough confidence in David Culley to put together a win, but this may be the worst team that we've seen, especially maybe the worst offense since the Steve Wilkes era. Uh, even if Cam Newton decides to sign there, I don't think he would boost them anything at all. Wrapping up the AFC, I'll talk about the oh, Raiders, Chargers, Broncos, and Chiefs. The Chargers, to me, are the one team that most people seem to be pretty high on. A lot of them have them in the playoffs. A lot of people have the Chargers being one of those teams that makes the leap. A lot of people are impressed with Justin Herbert essentially being the shoe-in for Offensive Rookie of the Year. If it wasn't for Justin Jefferson setting, you know, breaking records as far as the receiving position goes, this is a little bit of a maybe hot take, but I think that the Chargers are that typical team that may go 9-7, and seven, lose a tiebreaker to a team like Miami and maybe even just a field goal, a missed field goal, and misses the playoffs. We saw that with the Arizona Cardinals last year, tied at 8-8 eight and eight with the Chicago Bears. Bears held the tiebreaker and got in. I think that's the case here. I don't think that they're quite as polished as people are hoping that they would be. I think they're going to have some issues as far as being able to stop the run, and I, I like Joey Bosa there, but I think that even with that and some of the weapons – I think that when teams come out with a quarterback, and we've seen this with a Dak Prescott before, we've even seen this in some regards with Kyler Murray as a rookie. In second year, sometimes they call it a sophomore slump, and there's an issue or two that seems to pop up. And I think the issue this year is not going to be that Justin Herbert isn't going to produce. But I think he's going to have more turnovers. I think there's going to be times where he's going to gain confidence. Teams will be game planning for him better. And as we saw last year, part of the way that they were able to make an impact was with their deep ball. You could see that with Keenan Allen being able to throw deep. They got rid of, Ty, I believe it's Tyron Johnson, one of their better deep ball threats. They still have Mike Williams on the outside, but Williams has never been a paragon of health. Allen is getting closer to 30. I could see the Chargers being a case where they may be one injury or so away from having struggles. We already hear about Austin Eckler having a problem or two in camp as well with being able to be ready even just for week one. I think that the Chargers are that team that's going to have a good season, but I think that they're going to be that team that makes the leap next year. 
as opposed to this year. Now, that being said, I'm talking more about offensive issues. I think their defense is going to look boosted under Brandon Staley from where it was a year ago, but I think that it's not going to be quite at this elite threat. And I think playing in a, team, in a division like the AFC West that features some solid veteran coaches in Vic Fangio, John Gruden, and with the Chiefs uh, as well, that juggernaut that they are, I think that they end up dropping a few more of these in-division games, but next year end up being ready to explode on the rest of the AFC. Uh, in the meantime, the Denver Broncos, starting Teddy Bridgewater, they've got a really solid defense and a risk-averse check-down type of quarterback who can make plays, but right now their ceiling is at about eight wins. I would sell on that. I just I can't buy that the Broncos are going to get that high. I think this is more of a five-win team that picks just outside the top five. The Broncos have talent and Judy and others offensively. I think they'll make plays. But they're also going to go as far as their quarterback gets them. I think Javante Williams in the second round may take some time to adjust. He may also end up injuring himself a bit as he's a guy who loves to break tackles by running through guys. As we've seen before, that can be super effective, such as Chris Carson in Seattle. And then we watched the Arizona Cardinals game and where he left, and suddenly there's no Chris Carson in Seattle, and their entire team seems to struggle due to the fact that they just can't seem to run the ball. Now, I think that the Broncos are slightly better than being one of the worst teams, of course, but I do think this is a team that's setting themselves up to try to make a go at Aaron Rodgers in the offseason. I think he's going to opt out of his contract. Rodgers is going to say, yeah, give me the division that has you know, Herbert and Mahomes. I'll bring it on. We've got the coaches. I think this is what the Broncos' plan is. They're going to repeat the Peyton Manning formula, try to backload Rod of Rodgers' contract in year two, sign as many guys as they can, and be able to make a push in the AFC to get to the AFC championship game. That'll be in the rights to play the NFC. Uh, talking about the NFC, you got the Dallas Cowboys, Washington football team, New York Giants, and Philadelphia Eagles. This is one of the areas where the Eagles and the Cardinals are a lot more similar than people think, with, with one exception. The Eagles traded up for their quarterback in Carson Wentz, and then he collapsed almost overnight, seemingly, with not being able to make plays the same way, not looking like the same guy he was in that MVP season. And I think at least the replacement that they drafted in Jalen Hurts seemed to signify for me the end where you don't go out and draft a quarterback in the second round unless you've got doubts about the starter. And I think that happened in a big way here. I think that Wentz was probably needed a little bit, at least of humble pie, where he came into the league, memorized the playbook, was able to execute. But the complaint I had about Wentz is one that I had likewise about other quarterbacks I've seen, such as Tua, where he, he just doesn't seem to be able to make the high-end plays without taking a big hit in the process. As everyone knows, Wentz tore his ACL while trying to dive for the end zone on a play where he already had the first down. Needed to just kind of go ahead and slide, let a running back take the pressure off, or be able to have a play call that would keep him upright. Instead, being the competitor that he is, he looks into the here and now. Maybe there's issues as far as with the coaching, where he'll do that himself. And we saw last year that seemed to just regress so much into where he would just not see people open. He had maybe the worst wide receiver core in the NFL, but still would then, instead of being able to simply just, you know, call it a day, move on, try to see if there would be other plays to design. He would take it on his own, sprint out to the right, try to see if he could make a play happen with his legs, and then would either take a big hit or would end up getting sacked. Like, he would just simply hold on to the ball at times and take a sack when he could just simply just kind of toss the ball out of bounds. It seemed very much like he was just trying to be able to win everything on his own. I think that the addition of Jalen Hurts with his arm and his rushing ability, I think that they're going to be one of those teams that has found maybe the high upside Tyrod Taylor 
in the Buffalo Bills. Now, they don't have quite the receivers that I think that they needed to have, but by taking a guy like Devonta Smith, who just isn't going to get touched at the line, who may have injury issue or two in the NFL, but will be elite whenever he's in, I think that the Eagles are a team that could get to about a 6-10 record. Some are predicting them to go number one overall. I think that they'll get enough of a rushing value from Hurts. The issue is in the passing game. I think that he has an arm that can make NFL throws, but isn't quite there as far as NFL starter level. I think that he's going to be in one of those guys who kind of goes from team to team, bounces around a bit. Everyone lauds him for the leadership. Uh, he just isn't quite able to make it happen, kind of like how Tyrod Taylor is, or kind of like how the Cardinals Colt McCoy. And I think that the Eagles are going to be looking for a long-term starter, but I think that they're going to get enough out of Hurts this year. They'll go in and give it one more year next year. The team that's in trouble that I'm selling on is the New York Giants. Giants are supposed to have this solid defense that ends up being to play well, but their offense looks like it's going to be a train wreck. Their tackles seem to give up pressure of all sorts. And their quarterback in Daniel Jones is basically the Jameis Winston of fumbling. He will turn the ball over at least once per game, losing a fumble, and often will fumble twice. He's also averaged about one interception or so in his NFL start so far. So you're talking about a quarterback who's giving the, t the other team the ball like at least two times a game. That's not sustainable for any defense. He is one of those quarterbacks who doesn't seem to be able to understand pocket maneuvering or presence, but he does have the ability to make some gorgeous throws. In that regard, it's almost like you're talking about another Jameis Winston that really should be used a lot more on the ground and than he currently is. He's more of an athlete. You've got to be able to look at Daniel Jones and be able to actually start moving him around in the pocket, and I think that still will not make him any better. He is, in my opinion... One of those quarterbacks that should have been viewed as at least as a lower upside guy, but because of his arm and legs, was a guy who was essentially given as being a guy, hey, we can just bring him along mentally. And that's kind of the issue is some quarterbacks like Josh Allen have developed well mentally. Others have not. Uh, the next team at least to talk about in there is the Washington football team. I could see Cam Newton signing there as a backup. They're probably a team that... In the worst division in the NFC and perhaps in football, although we'll see how the AFC South goes, they're probably a team that you could look at on the outside of the playoffs. Ryan Fitzpatrick has got weapons to throw to. They've got a running back. They have a tight end in Logan Thomas. He does tend to turn it over. But that defense, especially that front four, is ferocious. I think that the Washington football team is being slept on. To me, they're that team that would only go 9-7 and seven if Fitzception seems to become Fitzception. I think there'll be enough Fitz magic that we get out of him that the Washington football team will be a 10-win team on paper. Now, whether Ron Rivera and the others who are there end up having issues or whether they see injuries, like if Fitzpatrick goes down, as we know FedEx Field seems to claim a new victim every year, that will end up being a tremendous issue for their team. Hopefully that's not the case. I think that they're a 10-win lock. The team that is the most interesting to rebound to me is the Dallas Cowboys. They're hoping to have a better, uh, a better team under Mike McCarthy, hoping to improve a horrific defense from last year. Hoping Dak Prescott is back. They're kind of slated similar. Many of them have them winning the division. I feel like this is one of those teams that you say should win the division, but I just can't trust the Cowboys. I don't think that people can. I think this is a team that goes 9-7, and seven, finishes beneath the Washington football team. And I think that the question about Dak and his shoulders health, and the same questions that popped up about Tony Romo and his back, I think we're going to start to see more of that as the season goes on despite the fact that the Cowboys could have, theoretically, an offense that could put up 30-plus points a game. Moving on to the NFC North, the Packers, the last dance. Aaron Rodgers 
has a decent defense with guys like Jair Alexander, a solid pass rush. They've been trying to upgrade their inside linebacker core, and he finally gets another wide receiver uh, out of the slot uh, that he's familiar with in Randall Cobb. This is a team that is trying to push for the Bucks. I think that this is probably a team that is a 11 or 12 win team. I don't think there's anyone in their division who's going to be able to come close to them. Uh, this is a team that probably is going to be a NFC Championship game repeat uh, by all accounts. And it'll be really interesting to see if Aaron Rodgers' health holds up and Tom Brady starts to slip, maybe you have a 1-2 switch there. It's hard to speak about the Vikings, but I think this may be the last year of the Kirk Cousins era. It certainly feels excuse me, like they're one Justin Jefferson injury away from looking at this 30-year-old Adam Thielen having no Irv Smith, no wide receiver three. They'll be feeding Justin Jefferson a lot. If he is able to stay healthy, this may be a fantastic season for him, thinking like DeAndre Hopkins last year. But if he can't, then all of a sudden this Vikings team that has a pitiful defense, so this is, of course, the team that Patrick Peterson chose to sign with that let go of a corner and Jeff Gladney who did not meet their expectations as a first-round pick. It's not a good defense. Daniil Hunter has been unhealthy the last few years and has been pushing for a new contract extension. Despite the fact of how young he is, it just doesn't feel like the Vikings are this team that's going to be able to make that push. I think they're on the outside of the playoffs. I think the concern for Cardinals fans should come where if the Vikings are able to, with Cousins and company, be able to beat up through the passing game and that defense is able to make work of Cliff Kingsbury, that's where I think you start to be concerned as a Cardinals fan because although I think the Vikings could be an 8 or 9 win team this year, would not shock me if they end up being a team that surprises folks and ends up being one of the worst five teams in the NFL. The Chicago Bears, this is a team that's being held back by their head coach and their GM. I know I said talked about the Eagles have missed on however many picks at their quarterback spot, but the Bears really needed to trade up for a Justin Fields to kind of bail themselves out. This is where I think that you talk about the Bears as a respectable 6-10 and 10 team. It could be one that ends up being better. If Justin Fields takes over sooner rather than later, you look at their schedule of playing the Lions, the Vikings twice, of having the Packers that they're going to probably not have a choice to, it would not shock me if the Bears go off and are this team that late in the season, the Packers have maybe tuned out or on autopilot, is able to go out and beat the Bears to Justin Fields, kind of start that legend of maybe a come-from-behind victory that we've only seen previously from a guy like a Josh Rosen or from, I believe, a Carson Wentz coming back on them. That may be the delivery that the Bears need of finding a guy who, in a lot of respects at least, I would argue, was more pro-ready from the get-go than Kyler Murray was coming out. He not only had more starts, was able to utilize his athleticism, but I think is able to have weapons in the Bears, both deep with Darnell Mooney and a number one in Allen Robinson. They have at least enough on the uh, running game. I think the issues are with their defense and with their offensive line. They tried to booster that up with Tevin Jenkins, but letting Charles Leno go looks like a terrible mistake by their GM. They let go of a solid cornerback as well in the offseason. I just think that the Bears are one of those teams that will start off pretty bad and then suddenly, as they see, will start to kind of climb back to this respectable, you know, 6-11-1 sort of record. Similar to what the Arizona Cardinals were, I do think it could be a little bit more ready week one, potentially, but it will really depend on um, if the Bears are deciding to continue to trust Andy Dalton because, as we saw with Steve Wilkes and the Sam Bradford experiment, it got really, really bad before at least it got slightly better with Josh Rosen. I could see the Bears, it goes much better, and it wouldn't shock me if the we end up seeing at least um, them be able to improve over the end of the season, especially when they play the cards. Last two divisions, 
I'm going to take a quick break there. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, this is the team that everyone's picking for 12 wins. I think that you lock this in. If Tom Brady's healthy, and obviously that's, you know, you can say that every year, he doesn't seem to age. Everyone's being brought back. Their schedule is even easier. I think that this is the one 13-win team in the NFL. I think that's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You talk about how the Panthers are bad, the Falcons are bad, and the Saints no longer have Drew Brees. The Buccaneers where I believe outscoring teams like crazy down the stretch. As soon as Bruce Arians' offense seemed to click for Tom Brady, that Todd Bowles' defense was able to just hunt. Patrick Mahomes was running for his life. I think that the Buccaneers are, I don't know if they repeat because repeating is hard, but I could see the Buccaneers being that team that tries to push back and we have a rematch in the NFC Championship game. Saints are that team that I could see being made. I don't think that they're a sleeper top five team. I think it depends on Jameis Winston. I think they get to a respectable eight or nine wins. They could be that outside playoff team in an NFC that's a bit weaker considering that they're in probably one of the stronger divisions. I think they fall a step back here. I have the Atlanta Falcons being one of those teams that pushes for a playoff spot. Probably a similar, you know, seven, nine, eight wins. Because I think that there's an effort of Matt Ryan, there's a new coaching staff involved, I think they've got some great mismatch weapons, I think that the offense is going to be fine. The issue, of course, is the defense of the offensive line. They have not been developed well for Atlanta, they're weak there, but they also are in a spot where there's going to be, as we all know, a bad team or two every single year that pops up. If Matt Ryan gets hurt, then that Falcons team may be, they have the number one pick next year, you never know. But if he's able to stay healthy and durable, and from all accounts, what we've seen with what Arthur Smith did with the likes of Derrick Henry and with Ryan Tannehill and others, I think that we're going to see a special seat rookie season for Kyle Pitts, their tight end. Which, furthermore, I think that the Falcons will not quite make a playoff spot, but I don't think that they'll be in desperate straits. I think that they're a team that, much like the Cardinals of 2016, have solid offensive weapons, a decent defense, but just are not able to get over the hump especially in a tough division that year where they lose a talent or two that may have gotten them over the top of things. And last, of course, is the Panthers, a another possible Aaron Rodgers destination. They've talked about trading for Watson. They have Sam Darnold. They gave up a second-round pick for it. It's, it's just a situation where the Panthers decided to pass on Justin Fields, and I think that they have a college coach and Matt Rule, who, while he's known as a program builder, I think that they have, and they've moved on from their original GM, I believe, I think that this is a spot where there's just as much doubt deserved to the Arizona Cardinals. Like, if this is a Cardinals team that had kept Josh Rosen, that would be what people would be looking at with the Panthers. They don't seem to be able to have the right ship steering for the most part, and obviously there's reasons why teams passed on, you know, talent like Fields or Mac Jones, but with how both of them have been playing and looking at Sam Darnold as kind of a reclamation project, there are some reclamation projects that are worth taking on. I think Ryan Tannehill is one of the best examples. You could even look at Carson Palmer, who I think was playing at a much higher level than people gave credit for in Oakland before he came to Arizona. The issue is that we've also seen the Sam Bradford reclamation projects. And I think that when it comes to Sam Darnold, there's enough concerns I have about his turnovers. There's enough highlight plays that get you excited. But there are enough negatives that you can kind of say that he just is not a guy who really seems to be able to produce quite at the next level at a super high height. Now, if they are successful, then Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator there, is getting an NFL job. But I think the Panthers are one of those teams that I would buy the 5-11 and 11 projections Clay has. And last, the NFC West. I have the winner of the division. I have going to the Los Angeles Rams, but I have it in sort of a tie slash quite not there with. I think that they have an 11-win season. I think the San Francisco 49ers 
have a 11-win season. Wouldn't shock me if the Niners go 12 wins if Trey Lance turns out to be all that. I think there's a few too many issues, sacks that he'll take, just not quite enough talent in some of the areas they've been able to replace. I think that the Rams essentially will be able to get to that spot, but they'll be the fourth ranked in the NFC. And I have the Seattle Seahawks being able to put together a 10-7 and win season. That means I have the Arizona Cardinals, and this is kind of maybe the bold prediction I have is, I think that they could get 9 or 10 wins, but not make the playoffs. This would be awful to Arizona fans, I think, but it would make a lot of sense because when you look at how the division is going to beat up on itself, you have to leapfrog somebody in the division. Now, I've given reasons earlier why each of the teams could be surpassed. I could see the Cardinals having a 12-win season. I think that's their ceiling is a 12-win season. If everything goes right, they stay fully healthy. Everyone's back to their younger selves. The rookies seem to be able to be playing super well. Kyler Murray puts up an you know, MVP caliber season. They could have a potential NFC championship game in their sights. But until they can get past some of these teams like the Rams, being able to contend with the Seahawks, who clearly seem to be with a... Uh, kind of maybe not quite a last push with Pete Carroll, but they know that Russell Wilson, who asked for a trade earlier this season, it might be the last hurrah as well. I think that this wouldn't shock me is if the Cardinals end up going out and have a 9-8 and eight season, that would be just under their 10 wins. It's an improvement, especially with their schedule, but it's tough to be able to know. I think a lot of that functions on the Cardinals have to win some close games. If Cliff Kingsbury can manage and win some of these close games, suddenly you're talking about an 11-6 and six season and you're talking playoffs. If you're the Arizona Cardinals. Coming back, I'm going to go over some of these other over-under props for the Cards, and then we'll take a look at Tennessee. Thanks for listening into the ROTB pod. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Revenge of the Birds podcast. I'm going to be talking at least about the Cardinals, some of these over-under for these projections. Now, there's some that are more Vegas odds you can bet on. I love using the Mike Clay projections because I do think that they are uh, a solid approach based on things from last year, areas to expect for this year. And let's go over at least talking about the cards. And the first thing as far as with either the props is the projections for Kyler Murray. Now, Kyler last year got probably about, would have had probably close to 5,000 yards. He had 800 yards rushing, some 30, I think I want to say at least for all that, over 4,000 yards, some 3,500 yards passing. And probably missing that 5,000 mark just by the factor of the Rams game. Now that there's 17 games this year, I think that it's really good to be able to expect a output that could be a lot higher. Right now, you end up seeing Kyler Murray's passing yardage of 4,084 yards and then 126 rushing attempts for 726 yards. A bit more down there, but the passing yards increasing by some 500 yards. I think that you would buy this. I would take the over on that for the passing yards. I think that the Cardinals and Kyler Murray are going to be trying to throw the football a lot more. I also think that when you're talking about the game scripts and some of the avenues that they had last year, I don't think Kyler will take off as much because I think the improvement of Rodney Hudson will give him a bit more time. I think being able to have other threats such as Rondale Moore, being able to catch the ball to the backfield, an intermediate game to some degree with the likes of Christian Kirk. And then depending on the wild card that is A.J. Green, I think that's enough to boost Kyler to about 41, maybe 4,200 yards. It would not shock me if the Cardinals end up seeing a much larger passing season than they were last year, particularly if the protection is fine and they can take a few more deep shots. It's also the factor in Rondell being a guy who can get a lot of yards after the catch. And I think that we do, however, see, of course, a hit taken to the rushing yards, but not by a lot. 
726 is a solid amount. I know there's probably over under prop bets on a thousand yards for Kyler Murray in Las Vegas. I would definitely say that I'd take the under for those. They also have him with 25 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, and nine rushing touchdowns. I think that this is the year that Kyler hits 30 touchdowns as far as in the passing game. I don't think he's going to be rushing for the same 12 touchdowns he did last year. I think that nine rushing touchdowns is a solid remark. I don't think that the Cardinals are exploding, but you can see a bump that's taking place. The hard part, of course, with that bump is it may turn into a 9-10 and 10 win season with that division, but the schedule in that regard also gets a lot tougher as well. Uh, as far as when it comes to the rushing game, they have it split up relatively decently between Chase Edmonds and James Conner. 166 carries for Edmonds, 148 for Conner for about 740 yards and 630. They also have Jonathan Ward, 110, Eno Benjamin, 73. I think that Eno ends up going over 150 yards this season. I could see Jonathan Ward taking him under 200. But I think that between Chase Edmonds and James Conner, it's really going to come down to health. Because if Chase Edmonds ends up being able to participate and stay healthy or maybe only miss one or two games, I think that he's going to be a lot closer to 1,000 yards than people think. He was getting over five, about six yards or so per carry. Uh, he's gotten about a projection of 400 yards in the receiving game. I could see him being a lot more on the rushing yards and being able to say maybe a little bit smaller in some of the receiving yards, but it would not shock me if he ends up being a guy who ends up with, say, 850 rushing yards and the same 400 receiving yards. I could see that being that type of a season for Chase Edmonds. Now, whether or not the health comes in or there's issues, that will be something to watch. James Conner is the same way. He's supposed to have 633 yards. I could see quite a few two-back sets, but I could see him much more likely being the Kenyon Drake role. Now, Kenyon Drake, as far as his stats went, he had injury issues and didn't seem to run forward as much. I don't know if that's going to be the same with James Conner on some of this one-year deal, but I could at least see it where you talk about last year with Kenyon Drake, and he essentially had almost 1,000 yards in the lead role, 955. In the receiving game, he had 137 yards receiving, so he hit 1,000 yards. But I think that when you're talking about that and the Chase Edmonds role, it's really due to the number of carries. He only averaged, he averaged about four yards a carry. Some of that you can also make up to, you know, there was a long, six, I think it was, what was it, a uh, 69-yard, yeah, 69-yard run that he had as far as his longest. And I think overall that it's not going to be as many carries as people would think. I think that the Cardinals want to run Chase Edmonds, and if he gets hurt, I think they'll move to James Conner. And if he gets hurt, that's when you're going to start to see that Eno Benjamin backup and the Jonathan Ward uh, era some takeover with having one lead running back. The Cardinals last year used Chase Edmonds a lot more as a receiver than people think, either out of the backfield or even the fact that he's had one goal, goal line carry, I believe, the entire uh, career that he's had. And that was a goal line touchdown, I believe, with the Green Bay Packers game. That was the game where Josh Rosen made that comeback. Chase Edmond gets the touchdown. That's one of the areas where I think that they may use him in the passing game, and then suddenly Chase Edmonds gets some 80 yards down the field. Suddenly James Conner runs it in. I think it's going to be that sort of role for Conner, some 400 yards rushing. But I could see him cracking maybe 10 touchdowns if that ends up being the case, where they decide to let him take some of the hits versus Kyler Murray. Uh, continuing on with the Arizona Cardinals and some of their projections, Talk about receiving DeAndre Hopkins, 1,368 yards. I am going to pick the under on that. And here's why because I think we've seen enough health wise from not just uh, Rondale Moore and not just from AJ Green, but I think being able to project Christian Kirk to drop from, 
you know, about a 600 yards a season guy as a deep threat who can score some long touchdowns, dropping him to 400 yards and saying, hey, he's immediately the fourth best receiver on the team, I think is a bit premature. I think that unless health becomes a factor for Kirk, that he's going to have more yards from that. I think it's going to eat a bit into Hopkins. I think Hopkins gets 1,100 yards this year. Now, I do think, though, when you're talking about the projections, Clay is, and this is interesting, he does not have A.J. Green as his number two receiver. He didn't even have a Kirk. Kirk was number four. He had the fifth receiver being Chase Edmonds, but barely behind Christian Kirk as receiver five. He had Rondale Moore, 680 yards, being able to score, I believe, uh, what was that, three touchdowns this year. He had him as the number two receiver and had more being able to get 400 yards of kick returns. Overall, 1,000 yards of total production as a rookie. I I don't think that Moore's going to be used as much on kick returns as people are hoping for. I think that he's going to be used, and I, while I agree with some of these projections, I think that you could maybe hit that amount of 600 or 700 yards. Maybe you hit the over of 800. But I still think that this is a team that's going to add yards for A.J. Green. Now, when you're talking then about that, you're like, okay, he could hit 681, maybe for some of the scheme that's used, some of the big plays. But when you got Christian Kirk, you got A.J. Green, you got all these players together, what you're really doing is taking yards away from their tight ends. I would hit the under on Max Williams' 291 yards that he's projected. Daryl Daniels for 123. Hit the under, hit the under. That's because 291 yards, I believe, would be the highest production of yards that Max Williams has ever had in his career. He is like a 250 yards and two or three touchdowns a year sort of guy. He's their tight end one. Daryl Daniels, same. I think that he could go down to under 100 yards and one touchdown. I think that what happens is a lot of those yards are going to be what go to the likes of Rondell Moore. I think that A.J. Green could have an 800-yard season. I think Hopkins still gets his targets, but it wouldn't shock me if DeAndre Hopkins drops down to about 1,100 yards. I'd take the over on A.J. Green closer to 800. If they end up being 900-900, you know that the Cardinals had a good season and a good one-two punch. But given the nature of the Cardinals' offense, being able to give attention to those guys outside, the fact that Kingsbury is going to play a lot in the middle, I just think there's too many targets that are going to go to Moore and Kirk um, over in the middle to be able to make an impact that decimates A.J. Green and gives him only 600 yards, provided that he can stay healthy. All right, last but not least, at least outside of the special teams, the other players, looking at some of the defensive projections, and then just some of kind of the you know, expectations as far as win-loss probability. I don't think it's changed that much. I think the Cardinals are, on paper, a 10-win team. I think that they can get coached to eight or nine wins. I think that they also have the talent to potentially be a 12-win team that, you know, I don't know if they have Super Bowl potential. You'd have to have a very special season like the Ravens with Kyler Murray being your league-wide MVP. But I think there is a spot of the defense where it's going to be better than people think, but not in maybe some of the specific categories. I think that some of the sharing that goes around will be a part of that. So talking and looking at the Arizona Cardinals, the question, of course, is how good can their defense be? What can we expect from? And uh, the stats projection, when you take a look at this from Clay, is very interesting, in my opinion. He doesn't have any double-digit sack leaders whatsoever. No one has double-digit sacks this year. The most is Chandler Jones at 8.5 sacks, then followed by J.J. Watt at 6.6. And he's got them split up between some of the other guys, such as Corey Peters, seeing Buda Baker, uh, places like Devon Kennard. He is Marcus Golden with 6.6 sacks. And that is a bit of a surprise because when you talk about the Cardinals, he ultimately has them with 45 sacks on the year. And 
the Cardinals had 48 sacks last year in the NFL. And we were talking about sack totals for the most team sacks that season, 2020. That was fourth in the NFL at 48. So he has the Arizona, uh, is tied with the Bucks, of course. The winner of the leader was the 2020 Steelers with 56 sacks, followed by the Rams. So you're talking, okay, this is a team that he and others are projecting to be a top five team in sacks in the league. And yet those sacks will be divided up amongst their players versus going to the likes of J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones. And he has Marcus Golden with six sacks, given how what we've seen in their past, the Cardinals have never had a year in this Vance Joseph defense, or even, I should argue, in the 3-4 defense, when they've had Chandler Jones on the field. Even with him off, they had 12 sacks from Hassan Reddick. Now, five of those were in one game. Uh, that obviously makes a difference. But it really goes to show, at least, this is a team that's going to be getting after the quarterback, and they got better. That's the thing I think a lot of people aren't realizing. The Cardinals lost most of their defensive tackles and Chandler Jones last year. They brought in Marcus Golden, who got a great sack rate for getting Jones back. And even though they lost Hassan Reddick, the question is, what would you rather have? One Hassan Reddick or get back Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt added to the spot where they can line up next to each other? And now you suddenly are talking about adding in an Isaiah Simmons, who barely played into the picture. They've already had guys in Buda Baker who've had multiple sacks in a season. I think this is one of those areas where this it may come back to bite me. I think you hit the over. Those guys, I think either one or two of them have to be able to stay healthy at some level just because of the competitors that they are now. Bodies may say something different, but I think there's going to get enough out of those pass rushers that at worst case scenario, you're giving attention to those two and Marcus Golden is able to put up some 12 sacks. To me, I think that's one of the areas that you need to look. Now, Jordan Phillips is out for an IR. He may be out for the year. We'll see how that signing goes. It doesn't seem likely that he's going to be making an impact as much this year. Uh, It would not shock me if you end up seeing uh, the likes of Isaiah Simmons and Zayvon Collins get a few more than those sacks because of their ability to rush up the middle, get after the passer. I think that while some of the sacks, I don't see like a 1920 sack season for Watt and Jones. It's not 2017. But I do think that you could end up seeing, you know, 10 sacks or so split up between, maybe 30 sacks split up between the three of them, and maybe throw in Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons for, you know, four each. You're talking about a team that is going to live or die by their pass rush this year. And I think that's probably the key, whereas if you're talking about the Cardinals coming back and having a worse pass rush, and maybe even potentially a worse defense. Some are saying they think that it's going to step back a bit because, like, oh, they were a top 10 defense last year, and they're probably going to regress. I think that they'll be better. I think this is a top 10 defense waiting to happen. I think the projections of Zayvon Collins leading the team in tackles with 129 are right on the money. I think that Jordan Hicks' number of tackles are a bit low. I think Isaiah Simmons is the guy who he's projected about 106 tackles. I think that he and Hicks are both going to be probably closer to about 60 to 70. And the reason why is because Simmons, I think, is going to drop back in coverage enough that he's not going to get quite as many tackles. And I think Hicks is going to be playing a heck of a lot more than people are thinking due to the fact that Simmons may just be this essentially third safety who drops onto the field, not just to cover tight ends, but to be able to do more as a result in that type of a um, that type of this all-in-one role. He's also going to be blitzing the passer as well off of the edge. He's going to be that kind of do-it-all player, I think. And in that regard, I could see it being one of those cases where it's Zayvon Collins who, just from the sheer numbers, ends up being that guy who is a defensive rookie of the year candidate. Does he get there? I don't know because uh, the benefit he has is 
It's not like there's a top-end pass rusher that he has like in years past, such as Chase Young, no Nick Bosa. Uh, there isn't any of those guys, at least, to be able to look at. Uh, that's one of the things that I think he has going for him. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys have to make the playoffs. I think that Marika Parsons will be the guy who makes maybe a bit splashier plays in some regard just because of that 4-3 speed, but it wouldn't shock me if Zavin ends up being the better player overall from that inside linebacker position. And last, as far as the corner spot, it just ends up seeming like the Cardinals as far as number of snaps. Something doesn't seem to quite add up from their corner totals. They're projecting Byron Murphy to play 1,000 snaps and then Robert Alford 700 snaps, and then projecting Marco Wilson to play 600 snaps. And I think part of what happened is I think these projections, at least my Mike Clay, were expecting another 1,000 snaps or so from uh, Malcolm Butler. So that's one of the areas I think you take the over on Marco Wilson snaps. I think he plays many snaps as Byron Murphy played as a rookie. I think that you see some snaps from Tay Gallon, but I do think that a guy like a Rasul Douglas or someone else ends up elevating just as the fact with Robert Alford. And depending on how his health goes and how Rasul Douglas plays, I do think that you're going to end up seeing them play more often because there are teams that are going to probably try to find areas to run, you know, these four personnel sets against the Cardinals or try out a couple tight ends and forced to see if they can get Jordan Hicks in coverage. Um, I think that there's also going to be teams that try to test those cornerbacks, and it wouldn't shock me if there's a time or two that the older Robert Alford needs to have a breather. If teams just run gassers at him completely down the field again and again and again, it wouldn't shock me if you end up seeing Marco Wilson substituting him from once in a while. I think between that and then Jalen Thompson, uh, I would at least say as far as Buddha's snaps, he right now leads the team in snaps. I would take the under on that. It's been really awesome to see Buddha, but it's hard to see his health holding up the same as it has been. He missed one game last year, played through the broken hand. I could see him doing that again, but it would not shock me if you end up looking at the Cardinals and they end up having a game that they decide, hey, we've got Simmons in. Jalen Thompson, hopefully he can have a healthy season, is able to be able to play. And because of the fact that we've got this inside-out corner in Marco Wilson who... Maybe depending on the team they play, maybe there's a game where Buddha's hurt and they say, we don't have to rush him back. Let's let you get fully healthy so you don't go out and injure yourself further. I think that could be the case. Uh, last spot on the team, of course, the offensive line and tight end room. I do think that this is going to be a huge year for the Cardinals to be able to provide a healthy line. Uh, the projection starters right now, of course, of Humphreys, Pugh, Hudson, Josh Jones being the young player on that line, and Kelvin Beecham. I think the big question for me is if Humphreys or Beecham goes down, what happens with Josh Jones? Does Brian Winters come in at guard and Jones swings out to one of those two spots? Does Kelvin Beecham flip over to the left side? Josh Jones is there. I think that's one of the questions that I hope we don't have to answer. The other is Rodney Hudson. If Hudson gets hurt and misses time, which he hasn't for a large number of years, or ends up seeming to have a lack of play, that's going to be a concern for the Cardinals because they don't have anyone behind him that's really able to step up and fill that role. You want to see the Cardinals' offensive line get better this year, not worse. They're upgrading at least their center position on paper. They're bringing back three of their linemen. And the hope, of course, is that you see Josh Jones be an upgrade over J.R. Sweezy. And if he does end up showing a few struggles, the team at least has Brian Winters to fall back on, but it wouldn't shock me otherwise. If Josh Jones ends up being kind of one of these breakout players, that we start projecting either as a starting guard next year or we project him as potentially swinging out to be that right tackle, not just of the future, but of the now. All right, when we come back here on this last part of the ROTB pod, talk about the Arizona versus Tennessee game. What are some of the projections? What can we look into? And what are the concerns? Is this a game the Cardinals can win or is this a game that should have fans fearing? We'll be right back after this. 
And welcome back to the ROTB pod. This is Blake Murphy on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. Make sure you're following the podcast at ROTB pod, as well as at revengeofthebirds.com. Wrapping up, at least, but we've gone over a lot today. Thanks to you guys who are all still listening through. I know it's been a lot hearing me talk about this for a long time. I appreciate it. Uh, part of the plan moving forward right now for the ROTB pod is I'm still kind of taking a look as far as with what it'll look like as far as in the future. But for now, a lot of it's going to be potentially bringing on either guests, maybe it'll be opponent teams for previews, uh, being able to bring on some of our own ROTV crew. Uh, I know a lot of people got to see the launch of uh, kind of the other Arizona sports network that's going to be coming out, which is, I think, great in a lot of ways to be able to see. Uh, What I would at least like to talk about and mention this year is talking about the... uh, talking about the Arizona Cardinals and the Tennessee Titans. So when you're previewing the game, this is the second highest scoring game of the week as far as the preview goes. This is an area where most teams, at least, seem to be betting with the money line on the Titans. The Titans have, it looks like, just barely over, I think, at least as far as the spread goes. And a lot of the people are looking at this as a high-scoring game because the Titans have a bad defense. Cardinals have a questionable secondary and a questionable, in some cases, offense. Now, when you're talking about comparing these teams head-to-head, that's where I think the biggest question as far as for these matchups becomes clear. The Cardinals are a team that right now is really going to be looking at a veteran team while they're still trying to kind of build up for it. A win against the Titans would truly be able to set up, in a lot of regards, um, an overall uh, exceptional ability to be able to be announcing themselves as in it for the 2021 season this would be in the hunt if they can pull out a win over the titans the titans are a team that are going to be testing them with derrick henry that are going to have aj brown maybe not fully healthy he had surgery on both knees this season but they could end up seeing a scenario where he ends up being one of the guys that's very difficult if not impossible to cover one-on-one considering that julio jones is on the other side i think that this game is going to come down to the cardinals offense because i think defensively they're going to have an issue or two with someone's going to get lost in that coverage. Someone's going to end up having an issue at least against um, with Derrick Henry. I think the question is if the Cardinals defense can put Ryan Tannehill under some pressure and not be run over, which we saw was Vance Joseph's biggest thing, they'll at least be able to have a chance to blow this out. That's what they have to do is make Ryan Tannehill make mistakes. I don't think that happens in this game. I think that the Titans have too much of a rushing threat with Derrick Henry. Uh, I think they've got a solid team, even though they have a new play caller. Being able to add Julio on the other side, I think, will cover for quite a bit by having times where even if Tannehill's under pressure, I could see him just throw it up and suddenly you're like, oh, look, it's Marco Wilson and it's Julio Jones. Who's going to get the ball? And it just is one of those cases where the rookie gets beat by one of the most likely uh, Hall of Fame players in the league. So that's why I think that the Cardinals have to be able to make sure that they can pick this game up on the offensive side. If you can come out and be able to run the ball and pass and be able to run up a score on a bad Titans team that wants to run the ball with Derrick Henry, where suddenly they're like, okay, we're going to have to start passing a whole lot because we need to be able to take care of this. If you're able to then have the ball be passing, getting pressure up front with Watt and Jones, Tannehill is at least trying to throw the ball a whole bunch of times per game. You may be able to drop back and play some zone coverage and pick some of these underneath throws off for the most part. You can't keep going deep to those guys all the time. Being able to give some safety help over the top, that's what the Cardinals are looking for, I think, is try to play this like that last year's Seattle game at home where you think about the very end, they blitzed the heck out of Russell Wilson. Eventually, he made a mistake. He went and hit the hot route, 
Cardinals baited him into a throw to quickly hit Tyler Lockett. Zay Simmons dropped back, plucks the ball out of thin air, and the Cardinals go on to win an amazing game with that final kick from Zane Gonzalez. This is a game that's going to be an early start on the road, and as a result, you almost have to take the Titans. If the Titans win, I wouldn't be too concerned, Cardinals fans. I think if the Titans blow you out, I don't even know if you want to be as concerned. There's a lot of times where we've seen teams that look terrible in their game one that then turn around and have a fantastic season afterwards. I think that you don't like it if the Cardinals offense seems to struggle or let's say that Kyler Murray has taken three hits from a bad Titans defense or they're trying to get the ball to A.J. Green or you see like a little bubble screen to Rondale Moore. He gets kind of tackled by a safety that didn't seem like he's in the area. Suddenly he's there tackled behind the line of scrimmage and now it's, you know, second and 14. You run the ball and it's stuff. Now it's third and 13. You then talk about some of the concerns of if this Cardinals offense then ends up showing some of the issues and problems that they've shown in the past, which is being devoted to that five personnel, being able to not recognize that there's a power run game under center that can use Kyler Murray, being able to diagnose easier throws for Kyler at times when you need it to be able to get him in rhythm, gain confidence, or being able to have some of the levels of getting the protections right whether it's off of play action or whether it's off of giving Kyler enough time, maybe it's even you know having two running backs in the backfield play a bit of max protect and heaving a ball downfield to the most part at least with two safeties taking up with uh, you know Rondell Moore and having him on that side and then throwing the ball for an AJ Green and oh AJ Green's completely wide blanket covered like he's it's no way it's gonna get completed. That's when you start to worry. I'm not gonna be worried about the Cardinals until I see them week two against what's probably a worse Vikings team. Think if the Cardinals, the best case scenario, if you're a Cardinals fan, you would love to see the Cardinals go out and just steamroll the Titans. I don't think that's the case here. The Titans are too good. Think if you can win this game with a made field goal, Matt Prater kicks it as time expires. If you're able to, even if you're in a close loss where the Titans kick it, you can at least still be confident that, hey, this is a team that has AFC championship hopes. We went toe-to-toe with them. They've got questions on their defense. Cool. There's other teams in our NFC West that have questions. The matchup I'm watching here is probably the most obvious. I'm looking at Robert Alford against his former teammate Julio Jones. I don't think that Marco Wilson's going to fully line up outside in one-on-one coverage. I think the Cardinals have hopefully learned from Brandon Williams in the past and even Byron Murphy a few years ago. About a week one starting corner getting thrown to the Wolves. I think Rasul Douglas will come up, but I really do think that they're going to give it a week. Because if if it's impressive and if they do well, or even if they win the game and they don't look miserable, Steve Kime is going to want to pat himself on the back, and rightly so. Trading up for a fourth-round pick who would be able to make an impact as a rookie would be, even in game one against those receivers, would be outstanding. I think there's enough concern, at least for the most part, about if the Cardinals seem to sometimes just trust and rely a little bit too much on some of their own players, that they can struggle when other teams say, yeah, we need to improve at this spot, we're below average. The Cardinals may overvalue some of theirs. And I do think that they're overvaluing um, some of Robert Alford a bit, particularly the fact that while he's a scrappy player, while he's been able to come back from some of these injuries, it's not like he was ever a guy who went out and is like a cornerback one that's just on the wrong side of 30. This is a guy who hasn't played football in a couple of years, who's looked good in practice, who's been more of this scrappy type of playmaker. But I don't think that he's a guy who is going to be a step ahead or a step behind. Julio maybe isn't going to be quite healthy, but he'll be healthy for this one week. I think that that's going to be my matchup. Because let's say that you're the Cardinals fan, you're watching this game, and you're like, ah, Byron Murphy's looking really good. He's had a couple of passes to defend. Like, you know, he's not like, he's gotten beaten a few times by A.J. Brown, but he looks fine. 
And then you look over and you're like, Marco Wilson, you know, on the inside, you know, there's, they don't have a good slot receiver, but he's, you know, looked pretty signed there. Like they've mixed him in out with Isaiah Simmons, you know, maybe Rasul Douglas got a couple of snaps in some position. He made a good tackle there. Show off some explosion. That's good. And then you look on the other side and you're like, and Robert Alford has given up like 150 yards and two touchdowns to their starter on the other side. That's what I think should concern you as a Cardinals fan, because then you're saying, oh, great. Now we got Byron Murphy, who maybe he makes an emergence, but then you're down to a rookie because Alford looks like he's the Tremaine Brock type of a signing or a guy who you sign with the team. You bring back, you trust him, and suddenly it doesn't look like that he's capable of playing to that same degree. And then you're looking at the Malcolm Butler signing, saying, yeah, Butler probably lost a step. Well, implying that Malcolm Butler may have lost a step may come back to the team is what Vance Joseph says, but implying that Robert Alford probably hasn't, and this is the guy who, of course, made that pick six of Tom Brady in the 28-3 Super Bowl. I would love to see him have an awesome comeback story after two years. But until you can see otherwise, at least, and against some of these tough targets, it's going to be really hard. And I think a lot of people are betting on the Cardinals receivers to do really well, and I think it's going to be a struggle for at least one of the cornerbacks. If both of their corners struggle, and only Byron Murphy looks good out there, and even if Byron Murphy gets beaten for a touchdown, a lot of Cardinals fans are suddenly going to be like, uh-oh, this is not good. Like, we may, doesn't matter how good our pass rush is, we got to go ahead and make a trade right now because Steve Kime did not bring in enough to be able to perform at an NFL level for the expectations the Cardinals have of being a 10-win team. As far as the offensive side, I mean, obviously you'll be watching the likes of Kyler Murray. I think you'll watch some of the people on the offensive line against what isn't really a great Titans pass rush. But there's three players I'm watching. None of them are DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, you could watch the tight end too, but I think that you watch Rondell Moore, Christian Kirk, and A.J. Green. If Kirk is going to show up, It'll have to be now, and that's the case of he's not going to get cornerback number one like he was in 2019. He's not going to get cornerback number two like he was in 2020. Heck, he he may not even get corner three because Rondale Moore's speed, may they may say, hey, we've got a corner three. We've got to put it on this guy because we don't want to have our fourth corner, at least, who just gets bitten on a double move, and suddenly Rondale Moore's 80 yards down the field wide open in a flash. We got our safety to have to figure out plenty that's going on with, you know, DeAndre Hopkins on one side. And if there's a healthy and effective A.J. Green on the other, it's going to be super tough for teams to be able to properly defend, especially if the Cardinals can protect with five and force teams to say, hey, you bring five, we get, you bring four, going to have to bring five or six to get home. You bring five or six to get home, boom, Kyler being able to hit quick to the likes of Moore, Hopkins, or Green, being able to get some of those yards after catch in that single coverage. That's what I think Cliff Kingsbury is trying to do. Now, if you can't protect with five and four able to get home, or as we've even seen last year, there were times where the Cardinals in the interior had three rushing against the Rams and still let guys get through. If that's not the case and that bad Titans team is going, then it's going to be time for a lot of people will start panicking. I don't think you panic quite yet. Give it a game. But I think the player I'll be watching the most is Rondale Moore. He has been essentially on the hype train of all hype trains. I don't know if he's going to be wide receiver three by the end of the year. I don't know if he's going to be wide receiver four when you're talking about overall receiving with Chase Edmonds. But I do think that he's a guy that if he ends up performing and being this explosive player that makes people not even think about Christian Kirk, like, oh, wow, Christian, oh, Christian Kirk caught a pass. That's that's a 23-yard gain right over. That's, that's pretty good. But you're still watching more as far as the explosiveness, whether it's inside on these short passes, being able to pick up seven or eight yards on these horizontal screens. Suddenly, hey, we're in second and three. Cool. We can run the ball, at least for the most part, put ourselves in the third and short position. Suddenly you're talking about a guy who maybe it's going to be you run, you pick up five yards on first down, 
toss the thing over to Moore, pretty short, you know, maybe Cliff designs up a little bubble screen for that. He makes a guy miss, pushes through another guy, gets the first down marker. Sweet. We didn't have to even throw the ball deep because we're not having to worry about these third and long pass plays. Next play, it looks like you're about to throw a bubble screen, flip it around, and suddenly you end up seeing at least an A.J. Green fakes and starts sprinting down the sideline, draws the safety over. Christian Kirk patches a slant in the middle of the field, beats his man. Suddenly he's gone for 60 yards. DeAndre Hopkins hasn't even touched the ball yet. If the Arizona Cardinals can pull that off against the Titans, it may be a fun season for Cardinals fans to watch as this offense finally comes together with the talent and with the concepts that Cliff Kingsbury has wanted to run. I've said for a while, I felt the Cardinals needed a wide receiver more than a cornerback this year. Now, I had assumed, of course, basically with the draft or everything else that Malcolm Butler was a part of that, but it seemed like they were not going to be able to bring in a veteran who had that type of speed or ability or that type of athlete that Rondale Moore was to be able to toss the ball to him and he gets through. You would have either needed to add a full number one like A.J. Green, but with speed, almost like, oh, we're going to trust that Will Fuller can stay healthy. That's something that no one has really <laughs> seemed to enjoy. And even in a healthy year last year, he was suspended for PED use and had all sorts of other issues, at least. Now he is with the Miami Dolphins, trying to have a bounce-back year and a bounce-back career. I think that that's the player that I think you watch if you're a Cardinals fan is Rondale Moore because if he ends up being one of these guys that ends up performing just as well as we thought out of camp, you throw in Zayvon Collins and the rest, I think it's going to be much easier and much more confident for fans to be able to embrace this idea of a 10-win Cardinals team that's able to make the postseason. Maybe he isn't first in their division. Heck, they may not even be second. We have no idea. Maybe you tie, get 11 wins, tie with a team like the Niners. I think that Cardinals fans have been longing for this team to be able to show that they can be a winning franchise. With Kyler Murray at quarterback being able to show improvements, I think that that would be something to look forward to. If they can't get to that spot, then I think the question is going to be, are you going to simply look at this coaching staff? Are you going to blame them? Are you going to look at what went wrong as far as did the talent on the field not stay healthy? Did it not measure up? And all in all, I think that the big question you look at is with the people calling the shots and Michael Bidwell and his GM, Steve Kine. All I've asked for is that if Cliff Kingsbury plays well with the talent that he's been given, that you give Cliff credit. You give Steve Kine their credit. They would be proving people wrong who would have said, this is a terrible movie. You should have kept Steve Wilkes a few years ago. For them to be able to make the playoffs in an NFC West team over the likes of maybe a Mike Zimmer, over maybe even a exciting Chargers team, for them to be able to make the playoffs... I think that you could be proud of that as an Arizona sports fan. You give them the credit for being able to see some of that redemption and the turnaround. Now, it doesn't guarantee anything for 2022, but I do think on the other side, if the Cardinals are a team that seem like they've improved some in some areas, or maybe this is a team that just has more injuries pop up, falls off the wagon, it doesn't seem to really be the same. Kyler maybe looks great, but isn't quite to where it was as far as the MVP expectations. We see a lot more of that second half Cardinals team from 2020. Then I think that all I ask for is that you hold Cliff and Kime to that same standard and look at saying, all right, let's get a fresh start. We're going to look at what I would say is the final comparison today, which is the Phoenix Suns. Cardinals may be in that spot where they are going to be able to turn it around with the likes of a Howie Roseman taking a year or so with Carson Wentz building a team around and getting to a Super Bowl, be able to even beat Tom Brady. Cardinals have done that once. Howie Roseman even was able to get them to the playoffs one time before. I think he's been a longtime GM there. Maybe that's going to be the case again for Kime and Cliff and the Cardinals with an offensive-minded head coach. Or maybe this is a team that, you look at Kyler Murray wearing number one, you think of another number one in Arizona in Devin Booker. 
like how everyone said, well, is he really better than Donovan Mitchell? He's not really an MVP candidate. He kind of sneaks into the to the teams. Kind of sneaks into the team all-star game when other guys dip out. As we saw this last year, you got him a good coach. You got him a, a, essentially a guy who could lead the team in Chris Paul, who is a savvy veteran. Maybe that's your J.J. Watt this year. I don't know. But they really didn't turn it around until they finally got a GM who had a head in his shoulders and was able to sell that as a selling point to bring in a coach who chose coming to the Phoenix Suns over other teams like the Lakers, perhaps even the Bulls, other teams that potentially had coaching options. And if that's something that the Arizona Cardinals need, then I hope that they know for sure by the end of the year that that will be the direction that they will go. And that all starts with this first game at Tennessee. So I'm going to predict the score. I think this is one of the highest scoring games of the week. I have it 37-34, and this could be a coin flip for that one. I would pick Titans because I do think what's going to end up happening in the very end of the game is that I think that the Cardinals and the Titans will go back and forth a little bit. I think it's going to come down to one or two plays or conversions. And right now, I think if it comes down to a third and one, I would take Derrick Henry getting that first down over James Conner. I think that's just going to be what it ends up coming down to, plain and simple. If that's flipped, wouldn't shock me the other way, but I think it's going to come down to just one of those places of maybe a big run by Derrick Henry or something. Maybe it's just going to be some of the Titans' experience, the Cardinals being able to catch up. Maybe they can get Ryan Tannehill to make a mistake. I still think it's going to be one of those spots of where it's a high-scoring game and the Titans are able to kick a field goal 37-34, but then it would not shock me. It would not shock me at all. If the Cardinals are able to prove that they belong and can hang with the Titans, I think that they could win the next three straight. I don't know if they will, but I think they could win the next three straight. So that's what I'm hoping for as the Cardinals fans. That's the caveat here. I have the tar- Cardinals losing that first game, but if they can hang with the Titans, I think they have a chance of winning against the Vikings, against Jacksonville, and even against the dreaded Rams. And that will wrap it up for us on the ROTB pod. We'll be back at least over uh, to talk about game one after the week one. We'll be back on Twitter as well. At Blake Murphy 7 is my handle. And as always, on revengeofthebirds.com. Take care, everyone.